there's this um, myth around churches, it seems, that the church year ends on Easter Day. Maybe it's because the weather is so beautiful outside and people are spending more time out there. Or maybe released from the guilt of Lent, people no longer feel the need to be here. Or maybe lake houses are more appealing on the weekends. I don't know. But um, I get a little depressed this time of year when the church just doesn't feel as full as it could in the season of Easter. The message of the season is the most powerful one we have. This message that says we are no longer held prisoner by anything, not even death. That we are loved despite our sinfulness and brokenness. That God has won over all. But there are sometimes few of us around to hear it. The post-resurrection experiences of Jesus, the appearances, they, uh, they make nice stories. Nice stories with surprise endings. But we all know there's more to it than that. If all of these stories leave us with is warm, fuzzy feelings about breakfast on the beach, there would be nothing upon which to build the foundation of our faith. There's a reason that we need to hear these stories. There's a reason for us to be here. These stories need to be a part of our bones to inform our faith to teach us how to live and be in the world. We are an Easter people. We are people of the resurrection. We need to know what this means, and we need to wear it like our own skin, to breathe it like air. We are people of the resurrection. Stories like the one we have this morning teach us how to live into that being. Our gospel this morning starts in a familiar way. The fishermen were out fishing. We've heard this before. They hadn't caught anything all night, and they decided to pack it in. Then, just like on that day, many years earlier, when they were called to be fishers of people, Jesus again appears on the shore. And just like that day years earlier, the fishermen did not know what they were dealing with. They didn't know what they were getting into. And just like on that day years earlier, even though they hadn't caught anything all night long, on the suggestion of the stranger, they try one more time. But it's different this time. This time, when they haul in a catch so big it strains their nets, they know exactly what has happened. They know exactly who is out on that shore. They know. And then off goes Peter. Peter never quite gets it right. Bless his heart. I've talked about Peter before. I really like Peter. He's so eager. He's so over the top, kind of like an obnoxious little sibling or a teacher's pet. He tries so hard that usually he overdoes it. Like when Jesus was washing feet. Wash all of me, Lord. No, Peter. (laughs) Or when Peter swore that certainly he would not be the one that would deny Jesus. Not me, Lord. I I will die alongside you. No, Peter. Peter tries so hard. He tries so hard. 
And usually for all of his trying, he has missed the point of whatever Jesus is trying to teach. But Jesus knows Peter, just like Jesus knows the heart of each of us. Jesus Jesus knows the good there, knows the intentions. Peter uses Jesus. Jesus uses Peter, the rock of those good intentions, the noble heart, and Jesus builds his church. But in this story, Peter goes totally overboard, literally, as if he can't figure out up from down or left from right, he puts on his clothes and then he jumps in, swimming to the shore to see Jesus. The other disciples, also excited, row the boat (laughs) with its huge catch in tow to the shore, not that far, shortly behind Peter, but not Peter. He can't wait for rowing. He can't think clearly enough to make a plan. In his enthusiasm and his devotion, he just dives in and swims like his life depends on it. And I can imagine the others watching from the boat, rolling their eyes. There goes Peter again. Peter's cluelessness is not necessarily something we should model our lives after. As humans, after all, we are pretty clueless without having to work too hard at it. Just like Peter, we rarely get it right. We find ourselves so excited at Christmas about the birth story, so attentive to the details of each little angel, so wrapped in the lowing of the beasts, And then at Easter, we are so inspired by the alleluias that ring through this place. We recommit ourselves to God. And in the frenzy of the lilies and the trumpet fanfares, we mean it this time. Until life gets in the way again and the practice of our faith takes a back seat to the logistics of vacations and work and soccer games and grocery store trips. But again and again, like a weary but amused parent, God just sighs, tries again, helping us, like Peter, to learn from our mistakes, loving us through it all, knowing that we, too, are the bedrock upon which this church is growing. So perhaps Peter isn't exactly the model from which we should draw our life of faith, with his roller coaster of understanding. But there's something there. There is something to be learned from him. Jesus, after all, knew Peter's heart. Jesus, after all, knew that Peter was not just worth saving, but worth nurturing, worth forgiving. What if we learn instead, not from Peter's goofy inconsistency or from his lack of awareness, but from his sheer enthusiasm for the gospel message? What if we learn from Peter's eager and loving heart? What if we too realize that when God is near to us, we don't know whether to get dressed or sit still. We can't bear to sit around rowing a boat. We have to just jump in and swim like an overjoyed retriever stumbling over ourselves, soaking wet, mad with joy to be in the presence of one who loves us so much he will die for us. 
and then rise again. Here's what might happen. Here's what might happen if we followed Peter's enthusiasm. When we are asked to feed the poor and the hungry of our city, we won't just fulfill our duty because we're supposed to. We will fill the pantry of Midtown Assistance Center well beyond our promised quota of 300 bags of groceries, well beyond. And we will make a generous monetary donation to them as well. When we are filled with Peter's enthusiasm, when we're asked to furnish one apartment for refugees from devastated Haiti, we'll look around at our abundance, we'll see what we have, and we will furnish two apartments instead. When Peter's spirit catches a hold of us, we will look at the bottomed-out economy and our own scanty, worn-out checkbooks, and then we will give just a little bit more again to the church until our enthusiasm adds up to over, over, over 200 households responding to the special appeal that is working to make budget. And when Peter's passion is our passion, we will again and again stand up with the families of those being baptized, and we will say, we will, with God's help, and we believe. Because, friends, we will, and we do. And those things that I mentioned, we did, all of them. We are once again signing ourselves up this morning for a monumentally important task. We are promising, together, to raise these little ones to the light of Christ. If we go into this journey with them, with the enthusiasm that Peter expresses in everything he does, if we infuse into these children the same unbridled spirit of yes, please, Lord, in the face of the risen Christ, then we will be bestowing on them the the faith upon which God will continue to build the church. Peter didn't always have the right answers, but he always had the right passion. Friends, hold on to that passion. Be the church.